We're going to give it to Miss Amy and see where they lead us. Well, they, they said this morning that we're just going to, you know, the Lord has given us permission to do things. And so um, right before the service, we switched not only topics, but speakers, like, like as worship was starting. So that's exciting. That makes me happy. Um, I'm going to grab my Bible. We're going to be this morning. Um, you, I, I, we're going we're gonna to talk. We're just going to kind of pretend like we're sitting in a living room, as you can tell, because you can't even see me right now. I'm on the floor. There we go. I have no shoes on. Um, I just want to tell you guys a story this morning. Um, and you know, stories in the kingdom of God are called testimonies. And I just want to lay the groundwork for um, really the power of a testimony. If, if you break down the word, since there's no children, most of the kids left, right? So testes is in the root word of testimony. Can you hear that in there? It's, it's, the word is seed, Testimony is actually a seed, and as you release testimony, it becomes seed to the hearer, because when God does it for one person, it means he wants to do it again and again and again, and so when we tell stories in the kingdom of God, it's not for fun, although it is fun. It's fun to listen to stories. It builds our faith to hear stories, but it's supposed to do more than that. It's a replication process of the kingdom of God. It's how his kingdom actually advances. When you share the things that the Lord has done in your life, the breakthroughs, the stories of the kingdom of God, it opens doors for others to walk through in those same areas that you've had breakthrough. And so, you know, the last couple of days in the back of my mind, I'm like, I think I'm supposed to share my testimony. No, we've got this plan. Johnny is, you know, he, we know what he's going to teach on. And then I think I'm supposed to share my testimony. No, Johnny's got this planned. And this morning I'm finally like, okay, God. <laughs> okay, God, I will, I will talk this morning. But we are, we, I might not even crack open my Bible on a Sunday morning. Everybody take a moment. Gather yourself. We'll be okay. Because we're, his word is living and active, isn't it? So we're going we're gonna to do the living active part this morning. Um, he has been tremendous to me. I'm going to start that. I have seen the goodness of God chase after me and my family. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that. But how many of you know that sometimes when the goodness of God is in hot pursuit, you can be kind of miserable? <laughs> You know, like that, 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 that pre-catching phase where you're like, I know you're there, I know you're good, but, but this doesn't feel so swift at the moment. Um, uh, how many of you have grown up in the church? I'm, I'm one of those girls. Yeah. And then, you know, it's been an amazing journey. I, I love that I've grown up in the church because there's been so many things that I haven't had to deal with. However, sometimes when you grow up in the church, there's some other things that you have to deal with in life, some unexpected things. And um, when I was little, I was born into a nice, uh, were we Methodist? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the journey of the kingdom. I think that I was born into a Methodist home, except my mother on our little green um, dining room table when I was about three, um, she cried out for God with, like, hand, fist. You know, she put my brother and I down for nap and then, like, was like, God, there's got to be more. There has to be more. I don't know what it is, but this isn't enough. 
And right there at our little green dining room table, she was filled with the Spirit. And she had no idea what was happening, what God was doing, no clue. But she just was calling out for the more of God. Thank you, Mom. Hunger. Hunger is satisfied in him, isn't it? And my dad followed suit. And, and then they became really radical people because they sold our entire farm and gave all the money to this Christian ministry in Cambridge, Minnesota called Hadashe, um, so that they could buy a, build a campus, a revival campus there. And we lived in the little basement of a house that was on the property. And we, we uh, went from being Methodists to like revivalists in, a, in like an overnight period when I was about five. And it was an extraordinary season where we spent our weekends with ministers coming in and releasing the presence of God. And I remember, what was the guy's name that like had the entire Bible memorized? Dick Mills, right? So this man named Dick Mills comes to this, a little Hadashe, and as a child, I remember my eyes were wide because every scripture verse, he just knew the reference and could just say everything without looking. I mean, it was an amazing time in my life. However, all this is happening, and how many of you know that sometimes the enemy speaks lies to us? Anybody else have experienced that? And how many of you know that when we partner with those lies, things internally can go askew? Right? So here I am, born into a Christian home, spirit-filled at a young age, living in a revival center, and yet I was partnering with lies about who I am and myself at a really young age. And so as I grew... And, you know, I became a teenager. I remember in, like, Algebra 1 or Algebra 2 learning about the sine wave. And I, I, I saw this sine wave, and, you know, anybody who's done math, you know, is the graphing of the sine wave. It's a gentle, rhythmic sloping that goes up and down, up and down. And I began to feel like that was like a picture of my life because I believed inside that I could never amount to anything. And I believed inside that no matter how hard I tried, I would always fail. I had an innate fear of failure that was gripping me that was not found in anything that happened to me in my past. It wasn't a traumatic event. It wasn't anything major. But the enemy speaks lies. And when we agree with those things, it skews something inside. And so here I was as this young girl, you know, and, and I would try to read my Bible because that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to have daily devotions. You're supposed to read through the Bible in a year, and I never, ever made it, and I would fail again. And it seems funny, but Leviticus is hard to get through when you're 16. It's hard at 46, let alone 16. And so those things, because I believed I was a failure, those small, seemingly small things became defining moments in my life where I began to almost prophesy the truth of my belief about myself over me. I told, yep, I can't amount to anything. How am I ever going to do anything for the kingdom of God if I can't even wake up and do my devotions in the morning? Every good Christian wakes up early and does their devotions in the morning. And so, you know, here I am, completely spirit-filled, completely saved, and yet completely broken. And in this time, 
I met my husband, and anybody who's at the marriage course knows that, um, you know, sometimes you pick your spouse on a pivot, and you look around for somebody who can meet your need, and that's what I did. He's really, I mean, the Lord has done mighty things in here, and it worked out really well for us, but, but a broken girl married an extraordinary guy, and nobody else knew the grief that was inside the fear that was inside, I walked with that by myself for decades. And I remember, you know, we, shortly after we got married, I think our, our oldest was born when we'd been married a year and a half. My husband's a physician, and anybody who knows about medical school and residency knows that um, the first seven years of our life were a little challenging just because of his work schedule. He was gone all the time. And in the midst of this, we lived four and a half hours away. We went to school in Milwaukee, and um, we weren't surrounded by family. And our oldest was born, and I had always wanted to be a mother. And I had so many dreams about what that would look like. And our firstborn was born with a chronic liver disease. I took him in as a proud mother at his two-month check, only to have the doctor, um, you know, put him on the scale and say, Amy, something's wrong. Something's wrong. I'm like, what are you talking about? And, and so Jake, they, they're like, let's, let's take him over to the hospital. We're going to get some blood work done. But I'm four and a half hours away from my mom and dad, four and a half hours away from my in-laws. My husband's in medical school. We don't have cell phones. You remember those days? So I took my little baby to the hospital by myself and got his blood drawn. And, and you know, and you just like... You're, you don't have thoughts at this point. There's no thoughts in your head. All you have is anguish. It's not anything you're thinking. And so then, you know, it, we, the doctor sent us home, said, I'll call you with the lab results. Well, that evening, Johnny is home from school, and, and the doctor calls, and he's like, Amy, get Johnny on the other line, and I want you to sit down. And I'm like, that's not a good sign. And so that night, our youngest, our, or our oldest guy, was admitted to the hospital, they ruled out everything simple pretty quick, and it turned out he had an inoperable, I mean, he, he needed a liver trans transplant for his problem. There was no simple solution, no simple answer. They were going to manage symptoms, see how he did. And so now I want you to, to superimpose my beliefs about my failure, my inability to measure up knowing that I couldn't amount to anything for God because I was constantly failing, trying, failing, trying, onto the fact that my firstborn son was born with a chronic disease. I didn't know that God was good. I had no idea. I thought that my sin had caused my son's disease. And so here I was dealing with this grief of my little baby boy and all my dreams for what this looked like and what motherhood looked like. And it was crashing around me. And I internally believed it was my fault. And so with that happy outlook on life, um, we, you know, continued through medical school, continued to manage Jake's disease I mean, that's a long story. It was, it was H-E-L-L for about five years until um, Jay, however, oh, I have to tell you this part because this is the happy God part. He's so good. This is the goodness of God. So I'm sitting in the hospital with Jake that very first night, and I just open my Bible, and I'm like, God, I just need something. 
And I opened it up, and it's the verse. This is a direct quote. Now is the time of Jacob's distress, but he will be saved from it. The word, his name, now is the time of Jacob's distress, but he will be saved from it. And we clung to that verse like it was a lifeline. And when, you know, you have a promise from God, sometimes those promises, get, we attach our own expectations to them. And we, we kind of say, okay, you have said you're going to do this. And in my mind, he was promising me a tangible, miraculous miracle. And when my son at age five broke yet another bone, he, when you have a liver disease, your bones are very fragile. And he had seven craniotomies in, in seven months from simple childhood fall. I mean, and he just, his bones wouldn't heal. It was horrible. But then one day he was just was getting out of our van and, you know, like a little boy does, just kind of hops down and he fractured his leg. And um, it was kind of the final straw that put him on the active transplant list. And they were like, we need to do this now. And I was mad because now is the time of Jacob's distress. And you said he would be saved from it. And transplant God isn't saving him. It's just changing the, the whole set of things. And now we're going to be managing something completely different. And I was irate. I was mad. And I remember at this point, I found out the day Jake was going to be on the transplant list. We were pregnant with our fourth child the same day. And I was so upset. It's Lydia. Wave your hand right there. She's a treasure. Um, and so that day, I was driving in the car, and I, nobody was with me. And out loud, I was letting God know how I felt about how this was all going down. I don't know if anybody else has been there. He's not afraid of how we feel. He's not intimidated by a mother's anguish. He actually knows it and feels it too. I didn't scare God at that moment. He wasn't, oh my goodness, the child's going off the deep end. He was okay with me. He really likes me. Um, I just didn't know it. So here I was talking to him and yelling at him in the car. And the very next day, and I, I was in church, and the, the worship leader just began singing the song. And it said, you've traded my sickness. You've traded my sorrows. Anybody remember that one? It's a good one from the 90s. Yep. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. So I'm sitting there in church, and I am literally saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, from the bottom of my guts and saying, okay, I'm going to trust you in this. The next day we got the call that it was time for Jacob's liver transplant. How many of you think the goodness of God was chasing me right there? Because he didn't take me to, into the hospital with my little boy to have his transplant with me still angry. He brought me to that place where I could trust him. And long story short, uh, Jake is 22, happily married, and he is the example that Mayo Clinic uses of how good transplants can be. To this day, they talk about Jacob to all the patients about how good children can do with liver transplants. So God is super good. But in the meantime, here I am processing all these things, adding more children to our family, trying to do all the things that I think I'm supposed to do, yet failing inside. And the misery and agony, just kept, it compounded in me. And you know how you sometimes look at your experiences in life and let them prophesy over you? and confirm your beliefs about yourself. Anybody else do that where you're like, 
I think I'm a failure. And when I look at how I handled this situation, when I look at how I yelled at my children yesterday morning because I was so exhausted, when I look at the time that I, I, you know, I tried and I failed to be, to be kind and answer gently to my husband, those things, those simple things began to compound the truth of what I believed about who I was. And so our season continues to move on, and we have more and more children, and our family grew during this season. And my husband began preaching at church, and he was kind of getting excited, and I married just a really nice Christian doctor, and he was suddenly turning into a little bit of a weirdy right before my eyes. And I was like, okay, you know, I really love the Lord as much as the next girl, but I don't know if I can go where you're going. And that terrified me. So Johnny is talking to me about death to self and, you know, those just those things that, you know, we're, we're co-crucified with Christ and we're co-resurrected with him. And that sounds lovely, except if you can't trust him. I had a problem with trust in God. I didn't think I could do it. And so here we are. We begin to have some small group that um, meets in our house every, every Sunday night. And, you know, I think there were like 10 to 12 of us. And it was really a fun season because we were hungry for things of the Lord. I don't want you to think I wasn't a Christian. I mean, you, I like journaled all the time. They just, they're, they're just not very good reading. I mean, you go back to the season and it's like misery on paper. And... Um, so I'm, I'm just kind of internally miserable. We're, we're gathering every Sunday evening. We're beginning to practice what it looks like to prophesy over one another, what it looks like to walk in things of the Spirit, what it looks like to pursue His presence. Because how many of you know His presence is yummy? It's really good. And so all of these things are happening. And, you know, the Lord begins to awaken in me this this. this understanding of what the kingdom is doing and the, just prophesying into people's lives, exhorting others to see the goodness that God has put in them. And I could do that for everyone in the room. But if they said it to me inside, I'd say if they knew me, they wouldn't say it and I would brush it away. It had no landing spot because I knew who I was. And if they knew me, they wouldn't say it. And all of this is because as a little child, I believed that I was a failure and I had a fear of it. And I partnered with it and it seemed super real to me. Lying, yucky stuff. And so at about, you know, I began to give the Lord deadlines. Like, I don't know what's broken in me, but it's so broken. Can you just fix me by the time I'm 30? God, can you fix me by the time I'm 35? I don't know what's going on here, but I know something's wrong. And, and so Johnny is just continuing to press into things of the Lord, and he's feeling like we're supposed to begin a ministry in our home called the Glory Barn. Because I don't know if, you know, you guys live kind of in the country too like we do. We're from Staples, little town of 3,000. We're kind of, you know an out-of-the-way place with not much going on. And anytime we wanted to hear what was happening in the kingdom of God, we had to drive to it, you know. And we would drive Johnny. You know, sometimes I'd send Johnny because we had so many little kids, and I'd be like, you just go find out what's happening, come back and tell me about it. And, and then I'd try not to feel really left out and rejected. I mean, it sounded noble coming out of my mouth. It didn't always feel noble when I was still at home. 
And then, so he began to go and do those things. And sometimes we all would go as a family and the kids would be in the back laid out like with coloring books all around. Any other mothers do that? Like you're so hungry for things of God. It's like, I know that this isn't technically proper, but come on, I have to hear this. And so... And so we, you know, my parents gave us a set of CDs by Bill Johnson. Praise the Lord for some of the things that the Lord has released in the kingdom of God through him. But it was healing our neglected birthright. And Johnny began to hear about, you know, he'd go for runs. My husband is a marathon runner for years. And so he would go for runs, but they were like long, epic runs, you know, like, like yucky. I don't know. That sounds miserable to me. Um... But he would listen to these CDs, and when he'd come back, he'd have this fire in his eyes. He was like, is it possible that God is good and he didn't do this to our son? I'm like, I don't know. Is it possible? Is it possible? Well, one particular day, after Jake's transplant, he had, he had something called a ruin Y. How they hooked up his gut caused some problems, and he had fructose intolerance after his transplant. With anybody who has ever dealt with like those kind of intolerances, it, it, it's miserable. The diarrhea is violent. I mean, we, we started homeschooling our kids because we couldn't physically send our five-year-old to school. I mean, he, he couldn't leave the home. And so Johnny's like, you know what? This fructose intolerance is torment, and it is done. And he called all the kids into our schoolroom, and he, we, everybody thought they were in trouble. You know what I mean? I was like, Dad is like a calm guy. Today he was on fire. And so he sits down in the chair, and he's like, Jacob, what's going on in your life is torment, and it's done right now in Jesus' name. And Jacob was instantly and miraculously healed. And we gave him a little bit of pop later that day and to see what would happen, you know, nothing. Next day, a little bit of ketchup, you know, nothing. Completely, totally healed. Has never had another problem. And so the goodness of God was continuing to follow us. Continuing to follow us. I just didn't know. I just didn't know. And so here we are, Johnny um, is super excited about life and God and the kingdom, and, and I am apprehensive, petrified, timid, because God knew me, and it, you know, God knows me, he's the only one I couldn't hide from, he scared me bad. And so one, one Christmas, Johnny loves to give gifts, he is a, he's an amazing gift giver, and very creative, but this particular Christmas, he could not wait for Christmas to get there to give me my present, and so he hands me this envelope, and at our house, envelopes are really good because it means activities with Johnny or, the, you know, with Dad. I mean, the kids love to get envelopes from Dad, and so I got my envelope super excited until I opened it up. Then I opened it up, and I had to fake excited because I, I love him, and I didn't want to hurt his feelings, so he... He gave me a trip to a conference called Soaring Together out in Reading at Bethel Church. And I was like, well, that's great. Thanks. And um, he, he wrote out a paper, something like along the lines of, where the Lord is taking us, we can only to go together. And he's called us to soar together. And I was like... I mean, I had tried for years. I'm like decades into this. And I literally, if you open my journal, this is no joke. I have a picture of myself with chains around my ankle 
and like trying to get free. That is how I saw me. Like something was just like holding me back and I didn't know what it was. And so Johnny, about a week before we were to leave, he's like, let's spend the next week fasting and praying. I'm like, well, that's a great idea because if I'm dead, I don't have to go. So I can partner with that. It's fast. Bring it on. So, so my journals will reflect that. Yeah, the, the pre, pre-encounter Amy journaling was just something else, that's for sure. And so we go to the trip with him with great expectancy and me um, in great fear because I'd been partnering with that for a really long time. And I remember writing in my journal that, Lord, Johnny is so excited, and all I feel is fear that nothing will change. Because I had been praying and asking God to fix whatever was wrong with me, this nameless, faceless thing that I knew something was just wrong. And so here we head off to Bethel, and we get in line, and anybody who's ever been to a conference there knows the lines that like encircle the church. <laughs> and we're waiting to get in, and we finally get in, and we sit down kind of towards the back. And the first speaker that gets up that day, I have no idea what he said. His name was Leif Hetland. I, I heard things like wah, 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 you know, like Snoopy. I don't, I don't have any memory of what he was talking about, except as I was sitting in this little chair in the back, probably three rows to the back on the left, so you can picture me. And I was sitting there, and Leif said the words, orphan spirit. And when he said those words, I literally felt the presence of God begin pushing me. If you felt the weighty presence of God before, you know how you just kind of start sinking into your chair. And I was sitting there, and as he was, he was all over me, he said in my ear, honey, that's you. And I went, oh. And so as he sat, and he was pushing me into his chair, and his presence was resting all over me, Hope began to rise up in my heart because if I figured if he knew what it was, he could fix me. I had been fighting a nameless, faceless thing for decades. I didn't know what it was in here that continually felt like it was holding me back. And so we spent the week there. My husband was having these happy encounters. I literally had to drag his body from room to room and kind of roll him off my shoulder and plop him in the next space. He should never have been driving. Was not a good plan. Um, And so I, however, had full reign of my capacities. But I knew that God was doing something in me. And I would take myself, and no matter where we were, I placed my little self face down into the floor. And I began to say, God, I love you. God, I love you. God, I love you. And I said it over and over and over again. And then I'd get Johnny up from wherever he was, completely out in the spirit, move him to the next place, plop him on the floor. And then I would begin to say, God, I love you. God, I love you. Daddy, I love you. Daddy, I love you. 
as years of wrong beliefs about who God was and who I was to him began to be washed away. Daddy, I love you. And then there was a moment where it, like the truth of, of his love for me whooshed over me. And I began to say, Daddy, I love you and you love me. 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 My daddy, I love you and you love me. Daddy, I love you and you love me. My daddy, I love you and you love me. Oh, I never knew. I never knew that God loved me. How was it that I'd grown up in the church and I always thought Jesus loved me, but I thought Jesus died to protect me from God who was holy and couldn't stand my sin. That's what I thought. I thought Jesus was there to protect me, to keep me from the anger and the wrath of the Holy One. But that's not the case at all. He's crazy about me. He's, he's absolutely fascinated by me. And as I laid there 38 years of wrong beliefs about who my daddy was began to be washed away. And with it, whatever this was, completely vanished. Gone forever. Because I am completely and totally loved. Completely and totally loved. So he showed me on our way home that, you know, my, you know, I, the sine wave that I told you about, my trying and my failing and my trying and my failing. He's like, honey, this is the picture of how you live. And I, it was the first prophetic picture I ever drew in my life was a cross with me standing on it with my arms outstretched. And he's like, baby, that's how you live. And never again has my life ever resembled a sine wave. And can I tell you why? It's not because I don't mess up anymore. It's not because I have stepped into perfection, although that's where he's calling us to, right? It's because the beautiful place of repentance. When I mess up, guess what I do? I run to my daddy and I say, forgive me. And he says, I do. And then we, isn't that what Jesus died for? To usher us into the very presence of a father who's so crazy in love with us that there's nothing we can do about it. His love and goodness are chasing after us. It's literal. This is not figurative. Those are not nice lyrics to a song. His goodness is in hot pursuit of you hot pursuit. So I would love to tell you that, you know, my husband and I never experienced a moment of conflict after this, um, but everything did change. We always, it was a season, it's all about the love, baby. And it's still there. That's, we never want to leave that season. It's all about his love. I'm going to camp out there until the day I die. He is, his love is extraordinary. But one particular day, so I, I'm a I'm a homeschool mom, 
you know, we started because Jake, we, we had to, then I fell in love with it. So here I am, like, I don't know how many years later, but still homeschooling my crew. And, and uh, every April, if any, there's any homeschools in the room, you've probably been to Mache, where you go to the Minnesota Association of Christian Home Educators, and it's this entire convention. And the middle part, like on the hockey rink, is all filled with books and games and coloring things and art activities, and it is my happy place. I am a nerd. I love paper and pen and ink. I love books, the smell of them. I mean, Kindle, that's fine, but you can't sniff a Kindle. <laughs> and um, so... Here Johnny takes me, this is one year after, you know, that I, I, I know who I am, and I'm a loved girl, and he really likes me. And so Johnny's like, okay, for your birthday, I'm going to give you $100. You can spend it on anything you want at Mache. I will go and carry your backpack, and I'm like, oh, it's like heaven, you know, $100 to spend on not curriculum, on anything fun I want. I think I bought Catan you know, like the full expansion was really fun. And um, so we get done with Mache, and on the way home, Johnny's like, where do you want to stop for your birthday? And I'm like, well, I think I want to go to um, Cheesecake Factory, because they have the best avocado egg rolls on the planet. And if you haven't had them, you should try them. And so we stopped there on a Friday night, and anybody who's ever been to the Cheesecake Factory knows on a Friday night, the wait is long. Well, at this point in our life, our kids are still little, and they are at home with a, a friend of ours who's babysitting them. And, and Johnny's like, well, honey, we still have a two-and-a-half-hour drive to get home once we leave the cities. Uh, I'm thinking that we should do something else for dinner um, just so we don't leave Angela, you know, too long. And I was like, doesn't the man know it's my birthday? <laughs> this is a story you can't judge me. <laughs> I solemnly swear. Um... So, yeah, so that was my first thought. Doesn't the man know it's my birthday? Well, then we begin walking out to the car, and because I'm just such a sweet woman, um, he says to me, he's like, well, honey, just don't let it ruin our night. And then the next thought, now the man thinks he's my papa. <laughs> so silently I get into the car, and Johnny, you know, he's like, well, honey, we could do this, we could do this. And I was silent. Anybody, I, I won't, no raise of hands. I'll just tell you about me. I was being very powerfully silent. I mean, like that powerful silent that says a lot, you know. And I'm sitting there silently. Ugh. And so Johnny's like, okay, fine. And then, you know... I know I'm God's favorite, but that night it seemed like Johnny was because there was a Timberwolves game on the radio. So for the two and a half hour drive home, while I'm trying to be powerfully silent, he's listening to the Timberwolves. I'm like, we're crying out loud. It's really hard to be potent, mad, silent, and let him really feel it when he's just listening to the Timberwolves. So we drove home. I was in misery. We never went out to dinner. We went to bed, you know, hungry. And, you know, we led a marriage, marriage thing yesterday. But that night, you know, Johnny and I went to bed mad. Because I got home, and Angela had to fake for her that, you know, we'd have a marvelous day, which we had, like, 80% of the time. It had been marvelous. So it's the end of it. Um, and so Johnny, when I got up to the bedroom, was already asleep. I, I don't know if that was the case or not. And the next morning, my non-early bird husband was already out of bed, and not only out of bed, but he was in our, in our camper trailer in the back replacing the floor, bright and early. 
And so I'm like, well, that's odd. <laughs> so as I'm preparing waffles for my family, and I think this might have been the last time I made my family waffles because it takes forever when you have that many kids. I'm like, never again. Pancakes is as good as we get. So that morning, though, I made waffles for everybody. I was getting breakfast ready, and inside I'm preparing my speech for Johnny about how he could have handled the situation differently and that it would have made it easier for me, you know, not to react to him that way. Don't judge. We can always come up with a reason for our own CRAP, right? I mean, we can justify it. it yeah. So, so then I went out to the motorhome to let him know breakfast was ready. And he very lovingly looked at me as I shared my speech with him. He's like, honey, you've been doing this our entire married life. And I'm not going to tell you that it's okay. I was like, that didn't go as expected. <laughs> So I'm like, okay. I quietly turned around and exited the camper. And, um, and as you know, the kids were now all eating breakfast. And so I, went, I was going up the stairs. And I remember, because now, see, I'm a loved girl. And I can behave very poorly. But I know that I'm still loved. And so as I was heading up the stairs, I'm like, Daddy, he has a point. What is going on inside of me? And he said to me, Amy, Go ask Holy Spirit. I think you're perfect. I don't know about you, but that wasn't what I would have self-assessed at the moment. Amy, go ask Holy Spirit. I think you're perfect. So I went, oh, you're so sweet. I did. I was like, yeah, I know you like me. <laughs> but, I, but I did go on up the stairs and... I leaned my head back on our couch, and it was a divine moment because when you have eight children, quiet does not come easily, but they all stayed down there eating their waffles, and I had my time upstairs, and I leaned my head back, and I began to talk to Holy Spirit about what was going on inside of me and my relationship with my husband. What was the selfish part that when I didn't get my own little baby way that I threw a fit like I was three? And Holy Spirit began working on me and dealing with those things. And you know, when you don't operate from a place of shame and guilt, Holy Spirit has access to actually transform you into the bride of Christ. Shame and guilt keep us hiding, but when we know he's crazy about us, and even we're in the middle of our biggest messes, self-inflicted biggest messes, and he's still crazy about us, that's how we begin to be transformed. And so Holy Spirit and I had a long conversation. Then I called my mother because she knows me really well. Holy Spirit and moms have, you know, good insight. And, and so my mama was talking to me, and she prayed over me. And, and, and then I, after I hung up the phone with my mom, I tipped my head back on my little brown couch in my schoolroom. And I'm like, oh, Daddy. And in my mind, I saw myself with the most gorgeous wedding dress you have ever seen. It was like from a movie of Cinderella. I had, the, it was full and gorgeous with long sleeves and, and the little, little ring around my middle finger so that when I danced, it was, can you picture? It was swoopy, like my dress went woo, all swoopy up. And I was radiant and I was dancing in Jesus' arms before the throne of heaven. And the two of us, were ravishingly beautiful. And so as I was sitting there dancing, seeing how my daddy saw me, and then 
from behind, a voice comes in, and he says, what do you think of your, her dress? What do you think of her dress? And I knew it was Holy Spirit. And right then and there, he taught me a powerful, powerful truth, that it is not my job to conform myself into the perfect bride of Christ. That's not mine to do. Because when I try it on my own, my self-assessment's going to leave me in shame. Because if I would have self-assessed how I behaved towards my husband, it would have been Pittsville again. But self-assessment is not what transforms. It's when the Holy Spirit comes and he breathes life over us. And he says, baby, right here I have a little thing I want to do. And he goes, scrub, scrub, scrub. And he makes all things new. And he transforms us into the bride of Christ. It's not figurative. We are called to be the bride of Christ. And guess what that makes us? Absolutely radiant. We are the radiant bride of Christ. And so I just release that over this room. The kingdom of God has no room for shame and guilt. The kingdom of God has no room for fear. The kingdom of God has no room for the lies of the enemy because those things are the things that keep us shackled. And he has set us free so that we can be free indeed. His blood is magnificent, and it isn't to cover us. It's to transform us. His blood transforms us into the radiant bride of Christ. And he sent Holy Spirit to partner with us so that we could work together. And you know what our part is? Holy Spirit, do your thing. Holy Spirit, do your thing in me. And so instead of living my life like this, this is how it goes. From glory to glory to glory to glory because every time he finds another little something that he wants to go, honey, let me take care of it, there's no shame attached to that. It's part of the transforming work of the Spirit, and it's really, really good. And so when I come to those, oh, I should say this, this is important. After the whole story with Johnny, I repented to my husband. That's very important for you to know. It wasn't that Jesus just, you know, he does his thing. But then I had to clean up my mess, <laughs> and I had made one. So that's a little side asterisk. Um, so when Holy Spirit is coming, have any of you, you know, when you are, you, know, you can feel the Holy Spirit wanting to deal with you in an area, and you can kind of feel it begin to stir. And there have been things in my life where it's like you go for a season and it's just like, yes, I am just so in love with you, Daddy, so in love with you. And he's like, I am too, baby. And then Holy Spirit says, yep, we're going to deal with this right now, honey. You're going to be fine. But you can feel the stuff. And sometimes it, uh, boogers and tears happen, you know, when he's beginning to do those stuff. But I have come to love that place. I love that place where I can feel him begin to stir it's not a place to be afraid of because when we feel his stir in our lives, it's actually super exciting. I don't know about you, but I don't want to stay with my broken parts. I want to be transformed into the radiant bride of Christ. And one particular thing for me that has been an area and a stronghold that I feel like I'm just supposed to share with you this morning is I loved having my babies. 
loved, loved, loved having my babies. And actually, it became a little bit of a stronghold in my life where I, I, wasn't, um, I wasn't satisfied. You know, it, you know, you'd have a baby and you'd just want another one. And you'd have a baby and you'd want another one. And, it's, and the Lord had to begin to deal with me. And he brought it to a head and it was a messy head. I had two friends that had babies over one particular Christmas. And I could barely go see them. And I have seven children at this point. Seven babies. And I could barely go to the hospital because there was this vacuous place in me that couldn't be satisfied. And the Holy Spirit is so very good. And so I came to this place, and I'm like, Lord, you know me. You know what's going on. Just take this part. And he miraculously delivered me. And it was so very good, and it, it was messy for those couple of weeks. Super messy, but it's okay to be messy. Are you guys okay to be messy every now and again? We have to be okay because if we're afraid of being messy, we'll never change. So I got good and messy, and, and then the Lord brought a beautiful lady into my life that, that prophetically released what was happening, and then the Lord used her to remove that stronghold from me, and everything changed. It's so funny how you think something's normal, and then all of a sudden he makes it right, and you're like, wow, that feels so good. And it was so different that when I got pregnant with my eighth child, I didn't realize I was pregnant for eight weeks. I wasn't paying any attention. I wasn't a stronghold or an area that I was so fixated on. And he just he blessed the desire of my heart, but he did it in this place of freedom, release, and joy. And so I just love this body. And I can feel the Father's pleasure over what he's doing in and amongst you. And I just feel like I want to release this morning that it's okay to admit when you have pain. Oh, it's okay. Say, Holy Spirit, come. Do what you're doing. He wants us to be the mature body of Christ. Mature and radiant in him. So you are extremely loved. There is no place you can go from it. You are loved when you're at your messiest. No matter what you've done in your past, no matter what you're afraid of for the future, you are extraordinarily loved right here, right now, in this place. He's captivated by you. Holy Spirit is your partner in this journey. Remember, Jesus said, it is good that I go so that the helper can come. That's a shocking verse, but it's so true. Jesus was a man. He couldn't have been every place all over this globe helping all of us to be transformed. He had limitations in his body here on this earth. Holy Spirit has none. Holy Spirit has none. It is good that Jesus left so Holy Spirit could come. God is good, and his goodness is running after you. It is running after you. So, Daddy, we thank you that you don't leave us as orphans. 
you don't leave us as orphans. But you chase us down and tackle us to the floor and kiss our faces and tickle us as we giggle in your arms because you're captivated by us. You know, the story of the prodigal son, that son went off and he did his own thing and he stayed in the pigsty because of shame, right? He stayed there in that pigsty because he was afraid to go home. But then he made a decision and he said, well, I'll just go back and I'll become a slave. So he turned himself around and that was a powerful moment in that prodigal son's life because shame wanted to stay in the pigsty but he turned around and he began moving towards his father and all he did was have to set that in motion because it says in scripture that the father saw him from afar off he saw him way down the road that boy that he had been longing after was coming home and did the father wait he ran after him. He chased him down. And he put a ring on, a finger, on his finger and a robe around his shoulders. The only thing that boy had to do was turn around. It's the only thing. And then the father celebrated over him. We don't have to stay in shame. All we have to do is turn and begin that one step, and the Father's going to come after you. Because he's so, so good. He's so, so good. Thank you, Dad. Daddy, we thank you for your seed of testimony and that the breakthrough for one is the breakthrough for all. And so for this room, Daddy, I thank you that I'm your favorite, but this room is full of favorites. I just thank you, Daddy, for your captivating love that knows no limits over every heart and every life. Ha. You wash off the shame and you return us to the royal place in which we were designed to live. Daddy, this room is filled with people meant for rings on their fingers and robes about their bodies, radiant. Ah, Holy Spirit, teach us to be comfortable in the garb of heaven. That we would stand in our rightful place as sons and daughters, fully loved, fully affirmed, free from fear and shame and lies.
the radiant bride. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Daddy. So after this season in my life where the Lord just consumed me with his love, he began to teach me what it looks like to continue to possess the possession he'd given me. Because I had partnered with lies for so long I had, I had to learn what it looked like to possess the truth. And so there are things that Holy Spirit does in our life, and then there are things that he asks us to partner with him and begin to do. Because how many of you know that it is our job to take every thought captive? And so when I hear lies now, there has to be a different response in me. Then besides, that's right. I am a failure. There has to be a different response. I can't partner with those old lies because the enemy likes to repeat himself. He kind of, that's all he's got is murmurings. All he has is murmurings. Well, I have some powerful ones too, and they're called declarations. And so there was a day that I came home from church, and I was, my mind was being bombarded with lies and my family turned on the football game. We're very big Vikings fans at our house. There's headbutting and, you know, purpled head to toe, and it's exciting. And I sat back in the dining room table, and I got out. I already told you I was a nerd. I had this beautiful white notebook, two-page spread with all my beautiful colored pens that I carry in my bag with me. And I, uh, I began to write out declarations that were the opposite of everything the enemy was assaulting me with that day. I filled up two pages two pages, but I'm like, I am not partnering with that. And I wrote out declarations that were the opposite of everything that was coming into my mind because I knew I had to learn to stand in a new place. And so we know that we are the loved children of our daddy. We are loved. We loved. We are loved. And he wants us to learn to walk in it. And so I just exhort you that when you feel those thoughts coming back, those things that tell you you aren't loved, you don't measure up, you're actually the only one that can't be forgiven for that sin. The enemy tries to make us the extra special, unique one. It's time for us to begin to write out our declarations. No, I am a loved child of the king. Every place my foot steps is transformed. People in prophecy are drawn to me, and the favor I live under is seen by all. Those things, I have declarations on the back table, they were not written because I was feeling that way. They were written because I was feeling the opposite. I was feeling defeated, but I am not made for defeat. I am made for victory, and so are you. And so as you begin to walk in the truth, the truth, who's a person, it's a capital T truth. We walk in the truth. The truth truly does set us free. He sets us free indeed. Thank you, Daddy. Did you have anything? So, Daddy, today we seal this testimony in the heart of every listener here. And I just release the hope of the kingdom of heaven that it would begin to rise and stir up and that freedom would be in its wake in Jesus' name.
Father, I thank you for the extraordinary wisdom that resides in this house. Father, I thank you for the people that surround the people and that we are not alone. And we thank you that we are not meant to stay in our messes. We're actually meant to walk free from them into glory. Father, I declare that we are a people who doesn't run from pain. We turn to you with trust. You are so very good. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Daddy. Would you guys stand up with me, please?